0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Friend Diagram. This is the podcast where two friends catch up and find common ground between their favorite media. I'm Remy.
1: I'm Kat. And today we will be discussing Rachel Harrison's 2023 novel Black Sheep and the 2017 film You Were Never Really Here. Warning. Spoilers ahead. Hey, Kat. Hi, Remy. How are you today? I'm doing okay.
0: Good. How are you
1: doing? Oh, I've been great. It's been a long time since we recorded, like, a normal episode. When was the last time we recorded?
0: I don't even know. It was so many things have happened since then. I think at least two months. Really? Maybe nearing two months? Yeah. It's gotta be. Very weird.
1: Um, It's been a long time. Yeah, so... I moved across the country, yeah, and then the big move. The big move. It's been lovely. I've been really enjoying living on the East Coast, and we just came off of a week-long vacation up in Maine, which was lovely.
0: Yeah, I was there too. Yes, so as well. <laughs> yeah,
1: it was like a combination writing retreat mm-hmm. um, vacation. So that was a lovely. Friend's vacay. Yeah, we got all kinds of stuff done. We did some canoeing and kayaking and mm-hmm. hiking and sitting on the porch and grill food. and it mm-hmm. was great.
0: <laughs> was it reading and relaxing and great food. Campfires. Campfires. That was awesome. Oh, love that campfire. Roasting dogs on the on the sticks. That was fun. That was very fun. <laughs> Making s'mores. Yeah. <laughs> Cocktail hour every day. Oh my gosh. Lovely. Wonderful. Um, using
1: the home theater. That was amazing. Yeah. Wouldn't that be cool? I would love to have a big home theater like that. Absolutely. That's a big goal of mine. It's we, real
0: comfy too. Yeah. I, I just can't wait to move somewhere permanently so mm-hmm. I can start actually shaping my environment to be the way <laughs> I want it to be. <laughs>
1: You need more environmental enrichment.
0: Yes, I need more environmental control. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. That was fun. And then, So fun. Yeah, we've just been kind of acclimating back to normal life. We both got pretty stellar colds. They were yeah. awesome.
0: Yeah, you might um, still be hearing mine. I might sound a little weird still. But yeah, we both might sound a little bit congested. Mm-hmm. And then I also saw you again a week later. You came yeah. to New York City and I showed you some of my, <laughs> my favorite spots in Central Park. Hangout Rock. Featuring Hangout Rock. <laughs> I love
1: Hangout Rock. That was so cool. And we saw this guy who had been like kind of nestled back in the trees, not in like a yeah. creepy way, in like a, I don't know, vibey way. Yeah, just like seeking privacy way. Yeah. And he was playing his acoustic guitar, and a bunch of turtles came out onto this rock to sun themselves. And it looked mm. like he was giving the turtles a little concert. And it was the yeah. cutest thing I've ever seen.
0: Yeah. The turtle concert was wonderful. <laughs> we saw big fish jumping. We saw people rowing boats wrong. <laughs> yeah. We saw cool dogs. Oh, I rescued a bee out of you the did. water. Oh, I hope he's okay. A- I hope he's okay too. It was just a. A perfect day at Hangout Rock. Yeah, it was a Perfect amazing. fall day. <laughs> it was perfect.
1: And then we went to the Museum of um, Natural History. Yeah, how was that? It was really fun. Uh, we did get lost multiple times. It's not designed in the way I would expect a normal museum to be designed. <laughs> and mm-hmm. the path was not clear. And the, they didn't give you a real map. You had to like download an app. But then the app was very confusing. Mm -hmm. and I saw some dinosaurs, 10 out of 10. Saw lots of taxidermy animals. Mm -hmm. I don't know if they're called something different when they're in a museum, but that's what I call them. Um, Yeah. Did you see big whale? No, did not (gasps) see. I think that part of the museum was closed because we wanted to go – through this part of the museum, and we spent a really long time walking around and looking for it. And it didn't even say, like, this part of the museum's closed. We were all just like thinking that we were crazy. It was like us, and then like two other couples were all like wandering around the same area. And then I like mm-hmm. peeked through this like little partition that was blocking off of a room, and I was like, ah, there's the turtle. Um, and there was like a big tortoise, and I was like, okay, well, we're not allowed to go in there. But weird. Saw lots of cool taxidermy birds, which is my favorite part of any kind of natural history museum. And then we got lost, and Uh we could not find our way out of the museum. There was no clear like determination of where you were supposed to exit, and there were just a lot of signs that said, this is not an exit. Uh. And so we were wandering around, both of us were getting quite cranky, and- we, like, walked up to this man, and we were like, we cannot find the exit. Can you please direct us there? And what he was like, "He was like, I'll just let you out here. And he let us out through one of oh, the nice. little signs that said this is not an exit. I think he sensed our desperation. Mm-hmm. Um, we both got a little claustrophobic because
0: mm-hmm. it was very busy there. Oh, dude, it's always – well, I guess – I haven't been there since I moved here, but Mm -hmm. my sense is that it is constantly slammed in there. I'm sure. Yeah, but I'm more used to like the Field (laughs)
1: Museum, which is very flat. It's like two, maybe three floors. It's very flat and long. And so it's very easy to like figure out where you're supposed to be at any given time. The Field Museum is in Chicago, which is like I used to get taken there by my aunt and uncle all the time. And, uh, so I like grew up in that museum, which is why I'm so Mm -hmm. familiar with it. But yeah, I was just very shocked at the organization of that museum because (laughs) we just like multiple times went up to a floor and then we'd be like, is this? It and then we would turn ourselves around and go back downstairs. And then a minute later, we'd be like, No, that can't have been it. And then we would go back up the stairs and try to figure Uh out where we turned wrong because we would just keep like coming back to the same staircase. But there was a way to like get to more exhibits. It was just very, it was very confusing. Weird. Yeah, (laughs) it was very strange. But we had a great time. But yeah, so that was really fun and eventful. We're coming back to New York City this weekend tomorrow to go see the two girls one ghost show in brooklyn so Mm -hmm. i'm really excited about that and yeah it's just been jam-packed with fun events i need to stop like booking new things i saw that uh, how did this get made is coming back and i was like no i can't do another (laughs)
0: thing i can't do it i shouldn't do it Mm -hmm. yeah and you'll be coming back in a couple of weeks later. Yeah. To see Killers of the Flower Killers Moon of with the us. Flower Moon. I got our tickets the day they went on sale. I'm so excited. I'm so excited. That's a really long film too. It's, it's like so three and a half long. hours or three something? Three and a half hours. Yeah. Oh. I told that to Will and he was like why did I agree to this? <laughs> yeah I got us four tickets and I got us a complete row of four. So Ooh. on the sides. Some of the rows are four seats long. And I was like, I'll take that row. Thank you. But uh, I know Will's going to definitely call dibs on the aisle seat for That's his thing. long, long legs. <laughs> that He needs to jumble around all the time. <laughs> jumble. <laughs> and lots um, of getting up and getting down.
1: Yeah. I don't know if I'm going to be able to sit still for three and a half hours, but I will do my darndest.
0: Yeah. I'm just going to be wrapped by... Jesse Plemons and Lily Gladstone, and just having a good old time. I know. I'm really excited. It's going to be so good. I'm very excited. Thank you for giving those tickets. Yeah. So Yay. excited. I can't wait to show you the Lincoln Square AMC, oh too. Oh, God.
1: Um, yeah, we just have so much catching up to do.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: even though we've been seeing each other a lot more than <laughs> we normally do. We have a lot of catching up to do with our audience.
0: Our audience. Our um. Wow. <laughs>
1: um but yeah so we can jump in for the day and today i will be talking about black sheep which is a novel by rachel harrison that i actually picked up on our main vacation and i want to shout to bookstores that we went to if you're yeah. ever up in maine because they were really cool so we went so cool. to twice sold tales and both of these are in farmington maine so we went to Twice Sold Tales. That's like a used bookstore. They've got really great prices. They've got really cool screen printed totes and shirts that are yeah. locally screen printed. And I'll put their um, information in the show notes. I loved that place. It was so cool. There was a dog. We pet <laughs> yeah, the dog. There was a dog um, that greeted
0: everyone. Uh, yeah. It was wonderful. It was
1: amazing. I really enjoyed that place, and I liked its organization. It was, Mm -hmm. like, very – I don't know. I just felt like they had a lot of really cool used books. I got a book on, like, Maine birds, which is totally my vibe. I got a Michael Crichton volume of books. That was
0: amazing. I got a book on parapsychology (laughs) and another book on the philosophy of not working. Woo! So that was great. Really unique selection there. Very cool. Yeah, it was awesome. And then we
1: also went to uh, Devaney, Doak, and Garrett Booksellers, which was just around the corner in the same town. I'll uh, put their information in the show notes as well. That was, um, it kind of reminded me of various independent bookstores that I've been to in my life. It was amazing. They just had like a really nice selection and that was where I got black sheep. So yeah. Two great bookstores and such a cute little town. I wish so we'd had more cute. time to like explore and see more of it because it was really just cool. really fantastic. So that was one of my favorite places we went. Me too. But you might recognize the name Rachel Harrison. We re-released episode 18 recently, two episodes ago, and I discussed uh, Rachel Harrison's book, The Return, in that episode, which is her debut novel, and I really, really enjoyed it. It's more of like a ho- hotel horror vibe. So go back to that episode and listen to my pitch for that because it's definitely worth a, a read. But one thing that I love about Rachel Harrison is that she kind of touches on a lot of different tropes and genres of horror. So The Return is like hotel horror. Tackle is kind of witchy, but more horror adjacent. It's not actually got too much scary stuff in there. Such Sharp Teeth is a werewolf story. Um, I haven't read it yet, but it's definitely on my list. And Black Sheep, her most recent novel, is more of like a cult horror. So uh, everything's different, but I think she does some really unique things with all of these tropes, and she just is a very creative person. She's definitely out there doing new stuff with old ideas, which I love. Cool. She also uh, has, like, a really great interview that she did a while back with Books in the Freezer, which is another podcast that I really love. And I think I brought up um, before, but mm-hmm. if you are interested in, like, hearing more about her talking about her work, um, that's a really great interview to check out and a really great pod to check out. So... I don't want to give too much away about this book, um, mm-hmm. so I'm going to be very brief, mostly because it has just come out, and I really want people to go support Rachel Harrison and check it out. But for this novel, we are following our main character, whose name is Vesper, with a V, who is estranged from her family. So she is a young 20-something who is working in some large city, perhaps New York. Um, She does bring up Penn Station at one point, but it's not really clear if she's in New York City or just near it. But Mm -hmm. she is kind of just working a dead-end job, waitressing at a chain restaurant called Shorty's. And she is generally unliked by her coworkers. She's kind of mean and... (laughs) Just very blunt. She just kind of says anything she thinks and it's not always the nicest things to say. And so she kind of has fraught relationships with her coworkers and one other waitress is kind of her friend, but it's very like superficial mm. as friendships go. And at the very beginning of the novel, she returns home from her shift at Shorty's and sees that there is a mysterious envelope that does not have a return address sitting on her doorstep to her apartment. And so she opens it and it is a wedding invitation for her cousin's wedding. And as I mentioned, she's been estranged from her family and their like general religious community for a really long time. It's not really a community you come back to once you leave. You're kind of Mm -hmm. just ostracized after that. And so she was really surprised to get this wedding invitation, and there was a note scribbled on the bottom, like, please come back, we miss you. But it wasn't mm-hmm. signed, it's unclear if her cousin sent it, if the groom sent it, who she, like, was romantically involved with all through, oh, no. like, her childhood. Mm-hmm. And so it's like very complex emotionally for her because she feels very betrayed, but also had no intention of returning. So she's kind of just feeling a lot of emotions. And another aspect to this is that her cousin was always her best friend growing up. And her cousin and her aunt were really the only two people showing her consistent love throughout her childhood. Her mother is like a famous scream queen actress who is always like kind of absent and then her Mm -hmm. father has been absent from her life since um, she was like 10 or something. Mm -hmm. So just a very young child. And um, so she kind of struggles with whether or not she wants to go back for this wedding, but she kind of feels this unexplainable pull to go back and she does. And she's vaguely surprised by the community's willingness to just like accept her back and they all kind of want her to stay now that she has returned home um but it's not a simple return home obviously there's a lot of complex emotions she's kind of warring with wanting to be with certain people that she really likes and cares about and not wanting to be in this religious community that she doesn't have any faith in or belief in And so she's kind of warring with whether or not she wants to stay for these people that she cares a lot about or go back to her lonely but independent existence in the city. And then there's some supernatural shit that happens, too, (laughs) and it's great. Um, So, yeah, I just I really enjoyed the experience of reading this book. I was flying through it and... One thing that I really loved about this book and other Rachel Harrison books that I've read is her ability to write characters that just feel very grounded and real. It mm-hmm. kind of just reminds me of how it feels to think things have like a dialogue inside of your head, if that makes sense. And I don't know that I've really read internal dialogue that is as compelling as what Rachel Harrison writes. She just does it in a really great way. Mm -hmm. And I love her characters and man, so good. But especially Vesper is like funny and sarcastic and self-destructive and just like a really complex girl um, that I think a lot of people could relate to, even if um, you don't necessarily act out in the way that Vesper does. We've all had, thoughts like Vesper has. And I think that it's very refreshing to kind of have an anti-hero like Vesper. And one thing that I really liked about this novel was the way it kind of did something new and exciting with the hero's journey. Um, Cause there's kind of this like unexplainable pull to a duty and a kind of like a destiny that Vesper is rejecting. And mm. I have always found that trope very interesting in literature. I find it extremely appealing and I really couldn't tell where things were going for a lot of the book in terms of like what the outcome was going to be. Cause I could see it going like two kind of predictable ways and it didn't go in either of those
0: oh, ways. Cool. I um, love that.
1: So I really enjoyed that. And initially when I started reading the book, it kind of was playing with concepts that I already knew. And so I was like, okay, this is kind of seeming predictable. She's going to do X, Y, and Z. And it was predictable up to a point. And then it totally went off the rails. And I was like, mm-hmm. I don't even know what's going on. This is amazing. And there's like a struggle with faith. There is a kind of break in Vesper's ability to understand her own reality as she's built it up for many, many years. Mm -hmm. And that was really interesting. I found that extremely realistic, like her thought process throughout that whole experience was very realistic. And yeah, I mean, I just flew through it. I couldn't put it down and didn't want to put it down. And I could see myself rereading it I think that this book and The Return, which I've read multiple times, are, like, I don't know. They're just really, like, the rereadability of them is very high, I would say. Because it's it's not, like, super deep. It's not going to change the way you really think about the world. So it's more like returning to an old episode of X-Files that you really love or something Mm -hmm. like that, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, Um, like... It's easy to wrap your arms around, Mm -hmm. but the retracing those emotional steps is still satisfying. Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. Part of it's the pacing because it's like a very fast
1: paced. Both of these novels are very short and sweet and fast paced. And so they're really easy to like pick up and get through really quickly when you Mm -hmm.
0: like need something
1: that kind of fits that mood
0: yeah i would love to borrow black sheep i would love to let you borrow it (laughs) i was hoping
1: you would say that yeah also i did have sign here i saw it on my bookshelf when i
0: got home and i was like ah dang it i could have just Uh, given it it to you yeah (laughs) sorry i did buy that at the bookshop but no that's totally fine i'm really excited to read that Mm -hmm. i'm rereading a book right now lock in Mm -hmm. by john Scalzi. Mm -hmm. it's a great book it's a it's a good one. I um, It's also, like, a really quick read, like, mm-hmm. very um, immersive mm-hmm. in the world of the story. But the dialogue is really fun and snappy, and it's like a detective f- near-future noir. It's very fun. Ooh, mm-hmm. That sounds very compelling. Maybe we can do a trait. Yeah.
1: But yeah, that's all I've got on it. I just... I got a lot of joy from reading this book, and when I was taking my notes, I was like, oh, yeah, and, like, I'm remembering all of this, and yeah, Um I, like, even found re-experiencing it through, like, taking notes for the pod really enjoyable, so.
0: Oh, that sounds so fun. I
1: would love to borrow that. Yeah, and if anyone listening to this reads it and really likes it or doesn't like it, I'd love to hear what you think of it, because Rachel Harrison is just someone I can see Being, like, an Mm up-and-coming, very, very good author. So,
0: Yeah, I had no idea
1: she had so many books out already. I know. um, They kind of sneak up on you. But, yeah, I'm really excited for Such Sharp Teeth because it's, like, a werewolf romance. But knowing how Rachel Harrison, like, plays with things that have already been done before Mm -hmm. and makes them new and exciting, I'm just, like, stoked for it. I'm really excited to hear about your pick for today's episode because I watched the trailer for it and I was like, ooh, this is definitely something that I'd be down to watch.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You should definitely check it out. This week I'm talking about the 2017 film You Were Never Really Here, which is based on a novella by Jonathan Ames and directed by Lynn Ramsey. And... This is a film I've enjoyed. I don't remember the first time I saw it. It must have been in 2018 when it came to VOD. But I also saw the trailer for it first and was like, this looks right up my street. (laughs) This looks very much like something I'd be interested in. And it definitely delivered and gave me a lot more. There was a lot more to uncover than I was expecting from just the trailer alone. So this film stars Joaquin Phoenix as a sort of shadowy assassin slash fixer. Mm-hmm. He's a guy that you can, if you know the right people, if you know a guy that knows a guy, you can hire Joaquin Phoenix to retrieve your um, family member who may have been abducted into sex trafficking and he will not only rescue them, but also pulverize the people that <laughs> were keeping them mm-hmm. with a, with a ball peen hammer and other assorted goods. <laughs> so <laughs> the story is very locked in on Joaquin Phoenix's character Joe throughout the story. You're following him all the way through and the approach that Lynn Ramsey took and that her cinematographer Thomas Townend took to shooting this experience of following Joe as you watch him sort of wrap up a case as your ent- as your entry point into his life and then follow him thereafter as he accepts a new case it's a a fascinating series of decisions One, because there's basically no exposition whatsoever. There might be one scene that passes as verbal exposition, but otherwise you're just observing Joe as he moves through his world and carries out his sequences of actions and follows his routines that keep him secretive and safe And Mm -hmm. so that you really need to know a guy that knows a guy that knows a guy to employ him. And you understand all of the rules that he operates under just by observing and watching. Mm -hmm. But the one thing I love about this film is that there's a lot of really interesting decisions that they made in terms of not just the shots and the shot composition, but the camera movements as well. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it feels like you are seamlessly transitioning into a Joe's point of view as he moves through a space, but then you kind of settle into an establishing shot. And so you're no longer traveling with him, Mm -hmm. but you really get a sense of his forward momentum through the world and some firsthand POV of a lot of his disorientation from time to time. Mm -hmm. He is a military veteran. And I also think potentially worked for the FBI for a time mm. in these types of special victims cases. And so he clearly has a lot of emotional baggage that he's carrying with him from those times in his life. And that seeps through in the form of flashbacks and also perhaps, uh, fleeting delusional states throughout the film. Mm. So you're definitely getting glimpses of his recollections of a really troubled home life as well Mm -hmm. between his parents. He definitely came from an abusive household, so violence has been a part of his life, his entire life, and you catch glimpses of that throughout the film. Mm -hmm. Uh, And violence is a big part of this film as well. Obviously, that's inherent in the role that Joe is carrying out Mm -hmm. as a fixer for these sorts of jobs, but A thing I really like about how Lynn Ramsey directs the film is that while it is a film that contains a lot of violence, it is not overbearing or overdone. There's a lot of uh, tasteful cutting away. Yeah. So that you're never. So it's violent, but not like gory. It's violent, but you're never like looking away from Mm -hmm. the screen. Yeah. It's never a gory or too much to handle, at least for my taste. But it also doesn't feel like you're just watching kind of like Grindhouse, you know what I mean? Yeah. And she takes a lot of really interesting approaches. There's a couple of sequences that really caught me off guard for different reasons. One is just that I really liked the approach. You watch Joe mount an assault, a one-man assault on a... Private residence where he knows his girl that he's trying to rescue is being kept, and as soon as the sequence starts, it transitions to uh, rotating between static security camera feeds, mm-hmm. rather than you know the fluid, yeah, the fluid uh, filmmaking that you've seen up to that point, and you are just rotating between each camera feed and seeing how Joe is progressing throughout this multi-story space. And I thought that was a really fun approach. And not only because it muted some violence that might be really hard to look at just Mm -hmm. through spatial obscuring and auditory obscuring, but also just because it, it was like a really unique approach to something that a different filmmaker would film completely differently. Mm -hmm. So I love that sequence. I think it's really cool. And there's another sequence towards the end. I also am going to try not to spoil very much because I think this is certainly a film that you and Scott should check out. And I think you both really like it. It's also a very quick watch. It's only an hour and 29 minutes. Mm -hmm. So it's a, a very snappy watch. It moves fast. You're never... You're never resting for a second.
1: That's my kind of movie.
0: I know. It's wonderful. But there's a sequence towards the end that happens at a lake. And that's my favorite scene of the entire film because it is totally in keeping with Joe as a character and what you know about him and his home life. But it's also a really nice respite from the disappointment and violence and general depravity that you've seen displayed throughout the the rest of the film at large. And I also think that is a choice that you certainly wouldn't see in another filmmaker's film about this type of professional. So I think Lynn Ramsay makes a lot of really interesting decisions. Mm-hmm as a director, and I really enjoyed them. Another thing that I love about this film is the score, which was composed by Johnny Greenwood, Mm -hmm. one of my favorite film composers of all time. The score is really interesting because it is extremely varied in that it is at times, I don't even know like how to describe it, like very percussive and jarring and electronic-driven, but in other times it shifts into a much more dreamy, ethereal type of score, Mm -hmm. and it's always completely appropriate for the visuals that the music is paired with, but the variety between all of the different soundscapes that he composed for this film is really interesting, and I love that it has an overarching cohesion, but a ton of range within that within that cohesive um score that johnny greenwood made so i was like really enjoying the score in particular when i was watching this today and then i looked it up afterward and i was like oh of course it's johnny greenwood of course it is do you want to
1: shout what else he might be known for
0: oh well he was a composer for there will be blood and ah. Phantom Thread mm-hmm. and The Master, but he's definitely most <laughs> well known for being in Radiohead. <laughs> oh,
1: yeah. I didn't know that.
0: Yeah, he's a cool, cool dude.
1: Yeah, it's awesome.
0: Yeah. Um, something that I also think is very special about this film is that you get really wonderful glimpses into Joe's home life. He is a middle-aged guy, and he's living with his elderly mother, and you get to see a lot of scenes between the two of them and just what their home life is like together, and they are really funny, and mm-hmm. they have a really um, realistic and funny and lovely relationship in that... They clearly care for each other very much, but they're also often, like, joking around and making fun of each other and mm-hmm. kind of generally yelling at each other. <laughs> and it's just... Um, I love it. I love how all of their scenes were written and the demonstrations of care that Joe shows to his mom, like, taking her reading glasses off when she falls asleep. And... Um, this is my favorite part. This happens really early on in the film, so it's not a spoiler, but the first time you meet Joe's mom, she tells him that she watched the film Psycho while he was away, and now she's scared because Aww. she didn't wait for him to come back to watch it together, and so she's, like, afraid to go to bed and be alone, and I was like, oh my oh god, my this god. reminds me of a cat. That's me. It's so cute. Uh, oh, It's man. so, so cute. Aww. But, yeah... They're also just like yelling each other about making messes and shit like that. And so it's also very relatable. And yeah. I love watching Joe and his mom hang out. Ooh, another thing that I think is really cool about this film is that it captures a lot of really cool locations. So Joe is definitely based in New York City. <clears throat> if I had to guess, I kind of got the impression he lived in Brooklyn, but I'm also not certain. He's mm-hmm. moving all over the place. He's definitely in Midtown for some of the film. Mm -hmm. But then he also eventually ends up, you know, chasing leads outside of the city as well. Mm -hmm. And I just thought the locations that they scouted for this were really cool. Mia Thompson was the location scout, so I want to give her a shout out. Really cool locations. The townhouse that the... Hammer sequence happens in on the security cams mm-hmm. was a great choice. And there's a like upstate mansion mm-hmm. eventually that is just a photographed beautifully, but also just an incredible property to behold. Yeah. And I just absolutely loved the, the location choices that they made and how they shot them. So, um, really lovely scenery and lovely properties to take in as all of this is happening Mm -hmm. so yeah great job on that let me see what else can I talk about without giving away anything important um yeah I don't know I would just say that while this film is operating in a space that I often return to so like a gritty crime thriller type of space. There were just a lot of surprising scenes and scenarios that the director wove into that familiar milieu mm-hmm. and just either reminded me of other films where it felt like the trope was being broken. So there's another scene that Joaquin Phoenix is in that kind of reminded me of my favorite part of the movie Heat, mm. uh, which is the very end. <laughs> and when you watch this movie, if you like Heat, you'll know what I mean. But uh, the touches of humanity that are shining through in this film really surprise you and really humanize Everyone involved, but especially Joe, and Mm -hmm. especially the people in his immediate orbit. And I think that is something that can often be lacking from films in this genre, where people are more interested in focusing on other elements of the story, but in this one it's really interested in portraying Joe as a a complete emotional human, and... Mm -hmm. Uh, His points of connection are surprising at times, but they're much more striking Mm -hmm. for that reason. And so I just think it's a really, really unique film, and it's definitely worth your time and definitely worth a watch.
1: That sounds awesome. Mm -hmm. I'm also really excited to see Joaquin Phoenix in it. Um, Yeah. He seemed very good, and... Every time I think about him, I just think about Bo is Afraid and how uncomfy it made me. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't want that to be the taste left in my mouth.
0: Oh, no. He has much, much more agency in this film. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because
1: obviously Bo is Afraid was a fantastic performance. Like, he just, mm-hmm. he did a great job. He's always um, so good. But I didn't like Bo Beau and Bo's journey, and I was mm-hmm. just having a really hard time with that aspect of it, so... I'm excited to see him act in a role like this. I think it's way more up my alley.
0: Yeah, definitely check it out. You get to see just more of his weird, weird body. It's so (laughs) strange to to behold, which is not a, it's not a diss to Joaquin. He just has a very uniquely shaped torso. (laughs) That's true. Yeah. Yeah. But no, he does a wonderful job. He does a lot of excellent eye acting in this one. And I think Mm -hmm. that also comes through in a lot of the shot composition, where the read that you're getting on Joe is completely through the movement of his eyes uh, Mm. across the frame. So That's awesome. Loved it. Lots of great detail to just dive into on this film. Yeah. It's on Amazon Prime, too, by the way.
1: Ooh.
0: So I guess I have a
1: question for leading into overlaps Mm -hmm. you mentioned something about I I can't remember exactly your wording but he is a veteran and he has PTSD and like flashbacks and things like that is it like a distortion of his reality and kind of how is that portrayed in the film I guess
0: Mm mm-hmm I think that is sort of left up to the viewer, actually, because you understand that he has a history in the service through flashbacks where you can clearly see him in uniform, Mm -hmm. you know, in the desert. And you see the things that definitely haunt him from that time via flashback. Mm -hmm. But in terms of how that is seeping into his psyche in real time, It's hard to say whether you're watching Delusions or Flights of Fancy or just Imaginings or just straight up a mixture of those things with flashbacks to his childhood. Mm -hmm. It's more impressionistic rather than thoroughly explained. So it's left up to the viewer to decide. Does that answer your question? Yeah, I think so.
1: Well, I think we're ready to go into our friend diagram unless you have any other points you want no, to add. I'm
0: ready. Okay. What did these two things have in common?
1: Um, my first one that I have is realistic characters. So, you talked about like his relationship with his mom and kind mm-hmm. of the banter that they have and the kind of sequences that are giving us kind of a humanized impression of Joe. And I mentioned that that's one of Rachel Harrison's strengths as a writer is just, like, writing really realistic characters as well that Mm -hmm. feel, like, very grounded. And I've never had the thought, reading one of her books, like, that's not what a real person would do. And I think that a lot – or, like, that's not what a real person would, like, think in this situation.
0: Yeah. Um, Also, in the character vein, I would say both of them follow – Main characters with a troubled childhood oh, uh-huh. that you you learn about as the story unfolds. Definitely get a sense of really troubling events in Joe's childhood that you see little flashes of throughout. Yes. Maybe New York City? <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> um, that's like a very simple one. Definitely maybe.
0: Mm-hmm. I have... How shall I phrase this? I have operates in a familiar genre space while still making unexpected decisions Yeah, or still keeping something you similar. surprised. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: I liked what you said, like Birkin tropes. I thought that was a really good way to word that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then I guess my last overlap, I, without seeing the film, it's hard for me to really decide if this is an overlap but it's at least a tangential overlap where the characters are struggling with their concept of reality in some way shape or form so Mm -hmm. joe is having some kind of delusions potentially and um vesper is faced with like this crisis of faith that is really warping her sense of what's real and what's not
0: yeah And they're also, they just both sound like they are pretty snappy. Quick pace. Yes. Propulsive. Engaging. Goes by fast. Mm Mm-hmm. For sure.
1: Yeah, I can't wait to hear what you think of Black Sheep when you read it.
0: Yeah, I can't wait to borrow
1: it. I'll give it to you when we go see Killers.
0: (sighs) Yeah. Killers of the Flower Moon. Killers of the Flower Moon. So many good movies coming up. I cannot wait.
1: Yeah. What else is on the radar?
0: Oh, do you want to hear my rundown?
1: Yeah, Remy's Radar.
0: Remy's Radar. Beep, 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 <laughs> beep, beep, beep. beep. <laughs> That's what Radar sounds like. <laughs> <coughs> Let's see. So I just have some, just some, I have a list of movies I want to see where I know what the release date is, mm-hmm. but this is not a complete list. There's many more that I'm hoping will come out. This weekend, I want to see The Royal Hotel. Mm -hmm. I was considering seeing Faux, the Saoirse Ronan-Paul Meskel film, but I also saw it get absolutely slammed by, Mm -hmm. you know, the early press screenings. So Mm -hmm. I'm second-guessing that, but I might still go see it anyway. After that, we have Killers of the Flower Moon, obviously. That's going to be amazing. In the beginning of November... The date that Dune vacated has been taken up by Priscilla, the next Sofia Coppola film, which I'm excited about.
1: Yes, the one about Priscilla Presley.
0: Exactly. That looks really good. I'm excited for that. And then ooh, November 10th is going to be a big weekend because we're going to get... The Killer, David Fincher's next film, oh. and Dream Scenario, the film that I've been interested in for many weeks now, the one yes. with Nick Cage that I told you about way, way yeah. back. Yeah. That looks That's really gonna good. That's going to be a very fun weekend. That's A24, right? I believe so, yes. Okay,
1: cool. Yeah, that looked really good.
0: Yeah. In November 22nd, we have another double header where Maestro... Bradley mm-hmm. Cooper's next picture is coming out, and Napoleon, also starring Joaquin as mm-hmm. Napoleon, mm-hmm. Ridley Scott's next big film is going to come out as well. So that's exciting. And sometime around that weekend as well, Saltburn will come out, which is Emerald Fennell's next film, her follow-up to Promising Young Woman, and oh. I've heard. Oh, and also Barry Keoghan is in that, so I'm really excited. Oh, cool. And um, I've heard mixed response to that. I think mm-hmm. it's kind of a litmus test for how you feel about Emerald Fennell in general, but mm-hmm. I think one thing that is shown through is that the cinematography for Saltburn is absolutely undeniable, and you can absolutely tell that from the trailer, and I'm really excited to check that out.
1: Yeah, man, that is a lineup.
0: Yeah, and that's not even including December. <laughs> oh my god, okay. <gasps> which, Hit me. Oh, dude, The Bike Riders is coming out at the beginning of December. Uh-huh. So excited. That's Jeff Nichols' next film, which always features Michael Shannon, our number oh. one guy in this household. So uh-huh. very excited. But, you know, Tom Hardy, Austin Butler, Jodie Comer, a bunch oh. of really uh, amazing actors are going to be in that it's about mm-hmm. a Midwest biker gang, and I don't know anything else about it. So that's all I need to know. Very compelling. Very about compelling. That. Can't wait for that. And then, oh boy, December 8th is going to be another doubleheader weekend, uh-huh. where we're getting The Zone of Interest. John- Why did I say Jonathan? Yeah, no, Jonathan Glazer's next film. Mm-hmm. His f- follow-up to Under the Skin, which came out, almost 10 years ago now i want to say and i hear it is equally if not more unnerving and i'm really interested in that i heard it's a really tough watch but it is just a breathtaking accomplishment at the same time so and that's coming out the same weekend as poor things yorgos Lanthimos's new film starring Emma Stone and Mark Ruffalo and I hear that that is a perfect accompaniment to Barbie it's kind of looks to be kind of like a Frankenstein esque tale where Mm. a woman is learning what it's like to be a woman and there's lots of sex and it's also funny and so sex um, with Mark Ruffalo? I don't know (laughs) I don't think so but who knows? Who's to say? I haven't seen it yet. I, I love Mark Ruffalo.
1: I've been obsessed with him. Or er, I, I grew up very obsessed with Mark Ruffalo.
0: Really? Yeah, I was very. From into, Any particular piece?
1: Yes, I was very into Thirteen Going on Thirty when I was growing up, and oh. he is like the main love interest in that incredible film. Amazing ten. Out of 10.
0: <laughs> Well, One of the
1: best rom-coms out there, honestly?
0: I heard he's amazing in Poor Things, and mm-hmm. so is Emma Stone, and it had yeah. incredible festival buzz, so really looking okay. forward to that. And then on December 22nd, we have All of Us Strangers, which is all, that's got Paul Meskell again, I want to say. He's in everything. I know, but he's so good. He deserves, he yeah. deserves it. Along with Andrew Scott. So that's going to be fucking awesome. Can't wait for that. I hear that's also emotionally devastating. And then we're going to cap it all off with Michael Mann's Ferrari on Christmas Day. Oh, so fun. So fun. <laughs> wow. What a year. What
1: a lineup, man. Yeah. It's the renaissance over here.
0: Yeah. The renaissance. <laughs> Bye for now.